Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are a light-giving God. And so, Lord, give us light this morning as we look into your word and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you turn and there to Genesis chapter 40, and we're going to, again, continue with Joseph, and we see here that in verse 5, and they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? They said unto him, we have dreamed a dream and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him in my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches and it was as though it budded and her blossoms shot forth and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore unto, store thee unto the, thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was good and said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and in the uttermost, uppermost basket was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. Joseph answered and said unto him, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee and shall hang thee on a tree and the bird shall eat the flesh from off thee. Came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. He made a feast unto all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again and gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph interpreted to them. Yet did not chief butler remember Joseph but forget him. Hmm. Well, all right. So, you know, the great value of this passage here is that we get this chance to look into Joseph and to ask the question, what makes Joseph tick? What is it about Joseph? And this chapter is just packed with all kinds of revealing truths as to who Joseph really was. 
And one of the verses that really revealed this to us was in verse 7, when it says, and he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, wherefore look ye so sadly today? I mean, this is a real window into Joseph's heart. We can see Joseph's heart in what he said here because this verse shows how Joseph was so different from the way most of us, most men would be. Most men would have treated, would have been like this just to think to themselves, you know, I'm so consumed over my problems. I mean, anger creeps in, bitterness creeps in, and over how you've been treated. And a person just gets consumed with all this anger and this bitterness, and he doesn't concern himself with the personal problems of other people. And this is what makes Joseph so different, because Joseph didn't let his personal problems get in the way of his concern for others. How many remember Vivian McCormick? Don't you remember Vivian McCormick? Yeah, Ed does, and Gene does, but you're all too shy to put your hand up. (laughs) Okay, Vivian. I mean, she was faithful at the ladies' prayer meetings, and she had a lot of health problems. And she was a frequent flyer at at Grossmont Hospital. And so (laughs) most people, you know, when they're in the hospital, they're all worried about their own health condition. But when Vivian was in the hospital, she was more concerned about the spiritual condition of the nurses and the doctors who came in to see how she was doing. Well, this is the spirit of Joseph that we're looking at in verse 7 here when he says, wherefore look ye so sadly today. I mean, when we're having problems, God is looking at us and saying, are you going to be like Joseph and be concerned about the problems of others? I mean, oftentimes God is looking to, to turn the tide for our own problems. And the world's conventional thinking is, oh, well, if you don't take care of yourself, no one's going to take care of you. But God's way is to minister to those who minister to others. And this is what happened with Job in Job's life. In Job 42.10, when this remarkable thing is written there in, in the, toward the end of Job, Job 42.10, where it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. That's an astounding scene. I mean, there sits Job on that pile out there with tremendous financial problems. He's lost everything. There he sits there. He's sitting there with huge family problems. His wife has asked him just to go ahead and die, and and (laughs) that would just relieve us all. Stop taking up space on the earth. (laughs) And she's distanced himself from him. Job says, my breath is strange to you. His children have been killed. That's a lot of family problems. And there's this Job. He's got such tremendous health problems that he's got these boils that have broken out all over his body. And so he's sitting there with broken pieces of pottery and he's scraping his skin. Oh, man. From all the pots and all the scabs. And if you think that's not enough, he's got friend problems. He's got friend problems because his, pro- his friends have come to him and they pretty much concluded, Job, you've done something really, really bad for all this to happen to you, so we just gotta figure out what it is. You know? <laughs> and all Job was looking for is just a little comfort, like a drop of the milk of human pity, perhaps. And so what he says to his friends in Job 16.2, Job 16.2, Job puts it this way. He says, I've heard many such things, miserable comforters, are you all? <laughs> we should all have great friends like that, right? And so <laughs> Job's misery goes on day after day, day after day. He's looking at his own problems. 
and he looks at his friends and he says, you know, my, my friends, you're miserable comforters until something happens in Job. And all of a sudden he sees beyond himself and he sees, you know, my friends are in really big trouble because my friends are far from God. And this becomes so prominent to him that he decides, he says, I'm gonna do something different against natural thinking. I've decided to pray for my friends. And that's what he does. I mean, how can a man with so many problems as Job have, how can he decide to pray for others? Because Job does what was commanded in Philippians 2.4. In Philippians 2.4, Paul said, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so for Job, that meant look not every man on his own problems, but every man on the problems of others. And when Job did that, then God made this to be a turning point in Job's life where his problems were solved. And it would have been so easy, so easy for Joseph to just keep replaying in his mind. My, look at my, my brothers did this to me. I'm a victim of crime, he would have said, you know, over and over again. You know, in his mind, all that was done against him, everything. And what would happen if he had done that is that he would just keep revolving around his own feelings and his hurts. But instead, Joseph cared for this butler and this baker. And he said, why are you looking so sad today? One day, he says, you're looking so sad. And this is what it means to live like the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to be an others-centered person. With all the wrong that was done to Joseph, he could have justified being a self-centered person. You know, I've got a self-centered person of, I've gotta take care of myself right now type person. But instead, Joseph decided to be an others-centered person and to be the person who says, wherefore look you so sadly today. And that's why verse seven reveals who Joseph really is as a person and why we should not let our problems drive us into being a self-centered, I've gotta take care of myself now person, but we should be like Joseph, an others-centered person in verse seven. Now, the other verse that gives us a window into the soul of Joseph, the heart of Joseph, is in verse eight. When he says to them, Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. Now, in order for us to see this as a window into Joseph's heart, we gotta see what Joseph was wanting when he asked them about their dreams. Tell me them, I pray you. See, this was not what Joseph was doing. Joseph was not saying, oh, you had some dreams? Well, I've had some dreams too. <laughs> so we have something in common now. Tell me your dreams, and I'll tell you my dreams, and we'll just discuss them. You discuss them, you know. But he wasn't wanting to have a discussion about dreams. Joseph asked them to tell them their dreams because he really wanted to help them. He really wanted to help them. So he says to them, he says, do not interpretations belong to God? You know, when Joseph says that, you see Joseph saying that, do not interpretations belong to God. What are you really, what we're looking at here is just a sweet, childlike spirit. There's a spirit of innocence to him. I mean, Joseph's saying to them, you know, in verse eight, it's sweet. Do not, do not interpretations belong to God. You think that Joseph was 100% sure at that point that he was gonna be able to in, interpret the dreams? I don't know. I mean, Joseph, he had a confidence in the goodness of God, 
and he was certain that God wanted to help these two prisoners. God wants to help everyone. He does. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is not willing that any should perish. God will have all men to be saved. So he was confident in the character of God. But I don't know if Joseph was really sure that, 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 that God was going to reveal the dreams to, to him. I mean, Joseph is like a little boy. Just picture a little boy speaking to his friend. And the little boy says, yeah, you know what? My dad and I know everything. <laughs> and the little boy says, yeah. And then he asked him a really hard question. And then the boy stopped for a while and says, well, that's one for my dad. <laughs> okay. Well, Joseph, he knew that he and his heavenly dad knew everything, but mostly his heavenly dad, right? And so as Joseph was faced with this question of what the dreams of these prisoners meant, then Joseph, like a little boy, would say, well, that's one for my dad, you know? Not every dream comes from God. I mean, I know that personally. I have some, believe me, I have some dreams that are really way out there, I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. The other, I told you a couple weeks ago, I went skiing. And I had this dream that I, would, that I had gone off the slope and I reached over my hand on a rock and this giant tarantula came out, you know? So I don't know what that means. I don't care what that means. I don't want to know anything about it because <laughs> King Solomon said about dreams in Ecclesiastes 5.3, Ecclesiastes 5.3, showing you that all, not all dreams come from God. He says, in Ecclesiastes 5.3, Solomon says, a dream cometh through the multitude of business. A dream comes through the multitude of business. What, what does that mean? It means that whatever you're involved in at the time, you might dream about it, it doesn't mean anything. And, in, and then he said also in Ecclesiastes 5.7, he said, for the multitude of dreams and many words are also diverse vanities. So that's about the, the translation, diverse vanity. Anyway, but when Joseph interpreted these dreams, he really wanted to help them. That's a point here in verse 7. And he says to them, do not interpretations belong to God. This is the, like I said, it's this great spirit that's about him here. Okay, Joseph, when he interprets this dream, he really goes out on the limb. That's the sweetness about his innocence, child-like spirit. I mean, he, you know what he said? He said, in three days, you're going to find out if I'm a phony or not. <laughs> That's what he was saying there. You know, it's like being in a prison and doing this thing, it's not a very wise thing to do if it doesn't happen, you know. I mean, but he didn't care because he knew that God had shown this to him. And even though this was risky for him, it's, really, it's much easier to say something like, you know, sometime in the future this is going to happen to you. But he, he laid it on the line when he said three days. Now, and all this gives us a window into Joseph's heart. Another verse that gives us a window into his heart, is in verse 14, where when he interprets the dream of the butler, and then he immediately follows on the heel of his interpretation in verse 14, and he says, think on me. Think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. You know, he could have said, Joseph could have said, well, I believe what is gonna happen is gonna happen, and it's, you know, I don't have really much control over it. It's all been predetermined. It's all, it's all been, and my fate has been predestinated, so all I really should do here is do nothing and just wait. He could have said, if the Lord wants me out of the prison, he's gonna get me out of the prison, and I don't have to do anything. I can just sit back and wait until God brings me out of the, the prison. That would be a fatalistic fate of faith. 
a fatalistic faith. That's what it would be. And Joseph didn't have a fatalistic faith. And that's what we see in verse 14, because it's true, it was true, that Joseph did not get out of prison until the Lord wanted Joseph to get out of prison. But that did not stop Joseph from using his head and trying to make good, wise decisions. We're faced with that right now. We got all these obstacles about getting the gospel out through the mail in Israel. Oh, the lawyers with the spam law. Anyway, I don't want to talk about it. But, you know, in business, you really don't want to hear people tell you why you can't do things. You want to hear people tell you how you're going to do it. And so anyway, this is Joseph. He's got this spirit here that he's trying to make good, wise decisions. And so what we see in verse 14 is that he didn't have this fatalistic faith of, well, no. But he looked for opportunities to get out of prison, and then he grabbed those opportunities. And it's just like Paul. Paul did not have a fatalistic faith. He looked for an opportunity to escape danger, and he did. And that's what we see in Acts 9.23. In Acts 9.23, it says, after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So what else is new? (laughs) But their laying await was known of Saul, Paul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. Wow, that must have been some sight. And so, so Paul knew, that, boy, the Jews in the city, they're conspiring to kill me. So he used his noggin to go and look for an opportunity to escape. And when he saw, oh, it's a basket, and I can get let down over the wall, he took it. He took it. And that's also true we see in Acts 25.8. In Acts 25.8, we have another instance there where Paul realizes, again, the Jews are going to want to kill him in Jerusalem, and he's being threatened with being sent back to Jerusalem where there's already been all these people who have not eating and drinking until they kill him. And it says, he says there, while he answered for himself in Acts 25.8, Acts 25.8, while he answered for himself neither against the law of the Jews Neither against the temple, nor against, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of the things before me? That was dangerous for him. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou knowest very well. And if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Okay, so Paul knows that the Jews in Jerusalem, they decided to kill him. And so he, sees, he says he's got an opportunity to not go to Jerusalem, but to go to Rome, and he took it. Okay? Joseph could have had a fatalistic faith where he said, well, if the Lord wants me out of prison, he's gonna do it. I won't have to do anything. And it's true that Joseph didn't get out as we saw it there, but none of that stopped Joseph from taking wise and good steps to accomplish this, you know, which he thinks is going to be God's will when he tells to the butler, think on me, but the butler forgot about him anyway. But when we see Joseph saying to the butler in verse 14, think on me, it's kind of sad. It kind of tugs at our heart because we kind of feel all this misery that he's going through and that he will go through for an additional two years. It's gonna be a rough two years, as we talked about. This disappointment that with Joseph, he feels this until he finally 
realizes verse 23 that the butler forgot about Joseph just as quickly as he wanted to forget about everything in that prison. But just the right time, just the right time, God reminds the butler. And that's going to be two years later. We're going to find that in the next chapter. And and actually, it's in the next verse, the first verse of the next chapter, Genesis 41.1. Genesis 41.1. And it came to pass at the end of the two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. Then the butler is going to remember in verse 9, in Genesis 41.9, Genesis 41.9. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. The Hebrew word that he used there for faults is very important. It's very interesting. It's, it's not really, okay. It's the word chet. Chet is sin. It's like a bad sin. You know, it's like what you go to, what people end up in hell for. Chet. So it shows that for the butler to make such a statement like that, for the butler to use a word like het, it shows that he made a vow. He made a vow to Joseph that he was going to remember, and he broke that vow, and it was a het. It was a sin. It's interesting when we step back and we look at Joseph in this prison because Joseph in this prison is like we were talking about in the breaking of bread service before this. Joseph was a man of sorrows in prison and acquainted with grief. Joseph in the prison was despised and rejected of men. But Joseph in the prison was also the person that God had prepared a throne and an exaltation for. The beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, Joseph in prison of Isaiah 53.3. He's despised. He's rejected of men. He's acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. But the last verse in Isaiah 53 shows a exaltation when it says, therefore, in 53.12, Isaiah 53.12, therefore will I divide with him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. You know, because in Isaiah 53, it starts out, The Lord Jesus Christ is like Joseph. He's despised. He's rejected in prison. And we come to the end of Isaiah 53. We see the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mighty conqueror, deciding who he's going to divide what to. And so that's Joseph. Right now we're in the Isaiah 53, 3 part when we look at this chapter in Genesis. He's despised and rejected. But another day's coming. Now, we can't leave verse 14 where we read Joseph say, remember me. Oh, those are important words, remember me. I mean, that just draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ who said the same thing to us at the Last Supper in Luke twenty-two nineteen. Luke twenty-two nineteen. it says, he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. All right, now, we come now to Joseph's explanation. I mean, you know, everybody is wondering this. Why, you know, <laughs> why is this prison different from all other prisons? Because <laughs> this prison has a Jewish person in it. As a matter of fact, he's the only Jewish person in, uh, in Egypt. So he makes explanation in verse 15. I indeed was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing wrong that they should have put me into this prison. So why are you in Egypt? Because I was stolen away. Why are you in prison? I've done nothing wrong.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. 